Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa, and today we are going to be talking about the 50th law. What is the 50th law? What are the other 49 laws, 48 laws? Uh, so what are the, the 50th law is an amazing book that I read three years ago by a guy named Robert Greene. Robert Greene is an American author. He has five international bestsellers under his belt. And the first of those bestsellers is called The 48 Laws of Power. This is an amazing book, very popular. Sort of the follow-up to that is called The 50th Law. And he's also got another cool book about mastery. He's a big self-improvement sort of uh, guy who writes about how to be awesome, how to be, you know, mastery is all about how you develop, how, how do you become amazing at something? And it, and it does so by looking back at historical figures that have accomplished and achieved great things. The 50th law has a very interesting backstory because this book wasn't just written by Robert Greene alone. He actually wrote it along with rapper 50 Cent. And, and, and that's really interesting. It, he tells the story of how he met 50 Cent and, and said, look, I, I know your life. I know what you've been through. And I know how hard it has been for you to reach such a high level of success in the music world. And he did it in sort of an unconventional way. And so he said, I think you would be a perfect person to, to write this next book with. And so they wrote the book together. And it's, it's really great. It even tells the, the story of 50 Cent, all the crazy things he's been, he's been through, how he was always very entrepreneurial-minded. He never wanted to. I mean, he used to be in some rougher situations, but he was always, he was always in this mindset of, I'm going to do this myself. I don't want to... I don't want to be a part of a gang. I don't want to do anything like that. And even with the when he began his journey into music, he was very independent. And that's just really cool. Now, what this book is, it's again, it tries to extract all of these lessons for greatness, more or less. It's in the same vein of things like Tim Ferriss, and other self-improvement gurus, you could say, which I mean, I love this stuff. I think it's so fascinating and I'm always trying to improve myself. And I think this is great information for kids, but also adults as well. And I really, I actually, when I first read this book, I thought it was so cool. I actually wrote sort of like a book report almost on it. I, I tried to condense it down into, into a document where I had all each chapter sort of, you know, I had all my takeaways and, and, and wrote like these little paragraphs, chunks 
on the chapter so I could process it a little bit better because I thought it was really good stuff. So what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to be reading from this document that I made back in 2013 that I recently came back across. I'm like, oh, this is so great. So I want to I want to share this with you guys and again, maybe encourage you to read this book if you get a chance. Great book. Uh, but if not, hopefully this will give you a nice recap of it and some lessons maybe that you can apply or, or your kids can apply in their lives. Okay, so this first little blurb again that is in my report, if you want to call it that, this is from chapter three of the 50th law. It's about And it's about failures. Failures and misfortunes are opportunities, not impediments. If you react to them with a positive mindset, you can use them to open doors and seize heightened positions of power. Additionally, it is important to abandon fear of misfortune. Why? Because bad things inevitably happen. It is important that we surrender our fear and accept this foregone conclusion. Once we come to terms with this reality, we can prepare our minds to react opportunistically to any so-called obstacles. Napoleon, for, for example, was a master of exploiting mistakes. He carefully observed everything happening around him and used each misstep to his advantage. He repeatedly directed, redirected negative energy into positive momentum. So the idea is that, which I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, I've talked about mistakes and why, how they're really opportunities. It's again being revisited in this book, and I think it's something that we want to recognize. And, and the whole idea is, I think a lot of times, man, I mean, it just goes back to, I think, a lot of the ways that society is. We're so afraid of not achieving, of making a mistake, of, of just messing something up. You know, you want to get through whatever the next stage of life is flawlessly. You want to, like I gave that example, you want to go skiing all week without falling, or at least that was my old sort of bizarre mentality. You want to get through law school with straight A's. You want to do this, you want to do that. And the thought of not coming through is terrifying. And sometimes that fear maybe keeps us on the path and we don't make any mistakes. That's not a, I'm that's still positive. But the point is, is that, Eventually, at some point, something's going to go astray. And I really like this idea that you don't let go of that fear. Embrace it. Embrace it. Okay. Now, I'm going to read one of my excerpts about chapter four. Okay. Fluidity is essential to staying on top. Circumstances are constantly changing. Formulas for success become archaic as environments and people change with the times. If we stubbornly insist on applying our outdated methodologies to new surroundings, we are doomed to fail. Instead, observe the changing landscape and update your strategy accordingly. Constantly reassess and tweak your path for optimal results. I think this is great, too. I mean, I, of course, have modified my game plan in life multiple times, uh, but I, I I think it's important to continue to to try and think about this, to try not to get too stuck in what we've originally found success in or anything like that. I think it's probably easy to. Once you sort of experience a certain level of success with a certain method, it feels comfortable, it feels good, it feels safe. And safety, my God, like that can really be something that is quite addictive. If you look at, uh, what is it, Maslow's hi- hierarchy of needs, 
that feeling of safety is all it's it's the baseline it's the it's the first thing that we need in order to feel good without that no matter what else we have without safety we're not going to feel comfortable we're not going to feel good and this is something that you want to push back against to a certain degree don't be afraid to step out of the comfort zone and have a little chaos it's not a bad thing especially once you get used to it okay Next, I'm going to read another paragraph from chapter five, my little summary. We are encouraged to be differential, deferential and agreeable. During our schooling, these attributes are laudable and often lead to praise from teachers. If we sit quietly in our chairs, pay attention and maintain order, we are given access to a treasure trove of golden stars. But what's the payout for standing up to a bully? Detention. The message from an early age is clear. Fall into line, submit to your aggressor, and don't make waves. According to Curtis Jackson, this hardwired lesson is misguided. Certain circumstances necessitate a strong and aggressive reaction. We must accept that everyone is constantly pushing to get what they want. If we do not push back, we will get passed over. Plus, we must not fall into the mis misshapen notion that passivity stems from goodness and politeness our inability to act aggressively is born out of fear once we accept that truth and confront we can engage ourselves to forcefully reach what we want when such an action is warranted again the curtis when i mentioned curtis jackson that's 50 cent that's his real name look it's it's not as though this statement is an encouragement to constantly buck the system or if you're a student to, to, to just be aggressive and go run wild. It's not saying that necessarily, but I think the message is that, and I can really relate to this, I think most quote-unquote nice guys can relate to this tendency to want to constantly please, to want to constantly be cool with everybody. And, and there are, I think most of the time that's fine. But there are times where people will take advantage of that. I can't tell you how many times I've I've had that happen to me in my life where sometimes just people will will take advantage and will almost will I mean can even abuse you a little bit if you have that characteristic about you that you're nice, you're giving, etc. And you gotta be willing to when necessary. You gotta be willing in those points to learn at least how to stand up for yourself, how to assert yourself, how to recognize when people are trying to just bowl you over. And I think that can be a very liberating and empowering thing to learn how to be confrontational when need me. Man, I have had to, gotta tell you, it's not fun. I don't like being confrontational, but I accept now that I need to be sometimes and I'm willing to do it, it's fine. All right, let's keep going. You know, uh, uh, it's sort of an interesting example. This is, this is kind of, this is, I, I don't even know if I'd call this confrontational, but it's asserting yourself. It's an ability to assert yourself. Like, let me give you an example from the experience that I've had just teaching where sometimes you may be placed in a certain level in your class and whatever the skill might be, reading, math, anything. And... Hopefully, the majority, vast majority of the time, the teachers will place you correctly. The teachers will put you in, in something that fits wherever you are, fits your placement. 
Most of the time, that's fine. In the event that that placement for a student where he, that he or she might feel that a, a mistake has been made and they feel very strongly about it, if they're actually willing and able to speak up and say, listen, I know I've been placed here, but I know I can do this other level and it's going to be a better fit for me. I'm bored in this one. And if you just give me a chance and, and, and they're willing to do that, you know, it doesn't always work and it's not, maybe their, their judgment's not always right, but at least throwing it out there and bringing it up and talking about it and going for it can, can make the difference when, you know, certain sometimes that has been brought to my attention. I take another look and I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? You would be a good fit in this particular group instead of the one you're in now. And that's sort of tangentially related to that same principle of quote unquote confrontational, really just being assertive and the power that that can bring. Okay, next. Leading by example is the most powerful method of influence. In contrast, micromanagers who constantly badger their employees to work harder or more efficiently are often ineffective. The key is to embody a set of leadership characteristics and display them prominently. This will indirectly motivate your underlings to follow suit and work effectively. The primary roles that an effective leader must fulfill are as follows. A forward thinker and visionary, a unifying force that has implemented a foundational belief system and philosophy, and a role model that conquers tasks and effectively disseminates responsibility. Do not try and curry favor by kind gestures. Instead, give no concession and you will garner the respect and admiration of your followers. This is really cool. To me, this is this is just about leading well, getting people to to want to follow you. I'd say this is something to keep in mind as a young person as far as perhaps one day starting a business, running something. But but there's also relevance as far as being on a sports team, I, I know I've, I work with a, a few students who are phenomenal basketball players. They're on basketball teams in fifth and sixth grade that seventh grade, they're on these leagues that are so competitive and they're team leaders. They they have to have the team follow them and listen to them and they need to, you know, so they, they, these, these principles are important. And I think it's so cool when we when we think about it, the leading by example. I mean, it's so true. Think about who are the people in life that we often look up to and are just willing to take advice from? It's the people that we have some level of admiration for versus somebody else who we may not feel that same natural level of respect, but they could still be giving perfectly sound advice, perfectly good words of wisdom, but we it's, it's not convincing. It doesn't it's not something that we want. It's just not something that's persuasive. And it's funny. I mean, I've talked about this before. The thing is, I do feel that giving good advice, it's not hard. It's easy because most of the time, even the person seeking the advice knows what to do. They know which way to go. They often can figure it out. But it's not so easy to have confidence in what you think and be like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what I need. They want to hear it from somebody else. And moreover, they want to hear it from somebody who they perceive to have some level of credibility. And I think that's what it what it comes down to. Instead of this trend to just hit somebody over the head with advice, instead, I like that. 
you know, lead by example. Okay, here we go. The next one, this is from chapter seven. The starting point of it, this is more, this is more related to entrepreneurial advice to an extent, but it has other applications. The starting point of any venture should be to understand your audience. Know the environment thoroughly before devising a plan of action. Most people visualize a fantastical endpoint based on a naive vision of how to build an empire. They may have a well-developed strategy, but the inputs for the equation are off because data has not been properly collected. We must immerse ourselves in the information provided by our environment to get a focused picture of where we need to go. The four key principles for achieving understanding of one's environment are as follows. Remove distance between ourselves and our audience to properly understand their mindset. Open informal channels of feedback so that so, uh, so that you can constantly ping your audience to hone your path. Ensure that you are still connected with the trends and desires of your customers. And recognize that failure is a meaningful reflection of our inability to connect with our environment. Disconnect any emotional connection to outcome and simply use each success and failure as a series of data points that sharpen your understanding of your market. It's kind of like, I, I remember too, I think Robert Greene at some point in this book or somewhere else has said, anytime that you get a negative result from a client or a customer, you should never think in terms of what, you know, the, it's, it's not like, oh, necessarily they're misguided. Like even, you know, I have courses on Udemy, for example, and it does hurt my feelings when I get a low review here and there. I've gotten mostly pretty pretty solid reviews. But here and there when I get one, I always try and stop the emotions and think, okay, there's got to be something valid. There's something in this negative review that I can take from, take from and learn from. And I think this is part of that idea is uh, specifically with number four, recognizing that that failure is it's it's representative of something that you can remedy and use to improve and build upon whatever you are doing. Okay, now we are going to jump ahead to chapter eight, and there's this specific th- uh, specific chunk that I want to read from chapter eight. Chapter eight, I've got this huge section uh, in my summary uh, where I'm basically talking about all the different instances and stories and anecdotes that are shared. But this is pretty cool. So you have some large goal that you think you are destined to reach. If you reach it, it will bring you far more pleasure than fleeting entertainment. You must learn the various steps for what is necessary. As you get more engrossed, you forget the negativities in life. You develop mental skills that serve as foundations for your life. You in You must choose a career that excites you in some way. Your pleasure will come in mastering the process itself and the mental immersion that is required to do so. So this paragraph in particular is pretty much what I use to guide and motivate me and guide my actions and, and what I do. I just want to end on this because... I think, man, there are a lot of things that you have to do when you're a student, when you're a kid, that you don't always want to do. Sometimes, and and some of these things you just got to do because you got to play by the rules to some extent because 
if you want to further your education, you got to take certain tests. You got to study certain classes, even though they may not all be completely relevant to what you do later on. And while I think it's great to recognize that and fall in line, it's it's I think when you grow up at a later point, I do think it's also important to step back and not get so enmeshed in the rules and the system and the protocol that you're not able to pull away at some point to look at things objectively and say, all right, well, now what is it that really excites me, that brings me to life? Because I feel it's so much easier to to go after things that intrinsically make you happy and are fun. And if you can, if you can find that area where you feel a click and where you're just really brought to life, then man, achieving mastery is not going to feel like a grind by any means. Instead, it's going to feel quite pleasant. It's going to be really fun. And it's pretty hard not to get good at things that are fun. And you look at video games, sports, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, just for people that have a particular passion for something, it's sort of like an unstoppable freight train as far as gaining skills and getting better and better and better at, at doing that one particular thing. So we're going to end there. I hope this was cool for you guys. I do recommend reading this book. It's a great book. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and if you want to hear more books as well, more book recommendations, I've read so many in the last three years about self-development, mastery, things like that. I would be happy to me even do another episode like this where I talk about one of the books in detail. I think there's some other books that I've made these sort of like random book reports on my own for that I would be happy, more than happy to share. A lot of wisdom in it with these authors. They've done a lot of great things. They know what they're talking about. At least I believe so. So that's it for today's episode. I'll put a link in the show notes to this book if you are interested in checking it out. You can check out the show notes at www.scalerlearning.com. And as always, if you have questions or comments for me, please feel free to email me at huzefa at scalerlearning.com. That's all for today's episode. See you guys next time. Take it easy. Yeah.